1: are going to kick off tonight at the very end of a very small book of the Bible called James and we're going to start in James chapter 5 verse 13 are any of you suffering hardships you should pray are any of you happy you should sing praises. Can we pray as we get started tonight? Lord, I thank you that you are here with us tonight. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the timelessness of your word, that here thousands of years ago, you inspired through the power of your Holy Spirit for someone to write down words that would continue to change our lives today. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Give us a a spirit-led mindset as we listen to your word, that we would be shaped and transformed by its truth, we love you. We give you praise. We give you place in this room tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, welcome tonight to week eight. This is the final week of our series through James. I understand. It's a short book. It's five chapters. If you sat down to read the whole thing, you could do it in about 15 minutes. And we have now taken eight weeks to go through 15 minutes I love going through Scripture at this pace. I think sometimes we have these high goals for our intake of Scripture. Uh, I know a lot of people have had the goal to read the Bible through in a year. I have uh, done that before, and it's a lot of reading, and it takes you, and that's great. If you have that goal, I'm not discouraging you. That's awesome. But on the days where I read 45 minutes of Scripture, there's also days where I feel like for me to apply about nine words of Scripture is about my limit, (laughs) And so walking through scripture at a slower pace allows me to take that time in my spirit on a weekly basis and just kind of dwell and be in that moment, allow that teaching to take deep root in my heart. I hope that this series has felt that way for you. Uh, James, we've learned about this man who was the half-brother of Jesus, a man who came to faith later in his life, that while Jesus was walking around Israel teaching that he was the way, the truth, and the life, he had a few doubters, and some of those doubters was his family members. But after the resurrection... James came to faith, and he became one of the greatest missionaries, authors, and pastors in the time period of the early church. And so his short book is just packed full of practical living, how, not just what we believe, but how we believe. The book of James is often referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament because it is filled with that kind of practical knowledge. And so the question we want to ask ourselves tonight is, how does James Wrap up his book when you've only got so much to say and you're walking through deep waters really fast. How do you wrap things up? James wraps up his book with prayer and praise. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take a different path than we've been taking as we go through this series. Is we're going to look at prayer and praise, but in the true spirit of James, who taught us to not just be a listener of the word but to be a doer we are going to listen to James, and then we are going to do what he says. So I'm gonna preach in about 15 minutes so we save time at the end of service to do what he says because how he wraps up his book is he gives us a James-inspired worship service. He's talking to a bunch of Christians, and he says, okay, one last thing before I leave. When you go to church, I've got some things, and I want you to do these things. These are the things that are really important, and so we're gonna hear his advice about what to do And then we're going to do them ourselves tonight. So the first thing in our James-inspired worship service is prayer for the sick. We believe that through Jesus' promise that by his stripes we are healed. That when Jesus took on the affliction of the cross, because he was perfect, because he did not deserve his punishment, his punishment has power. And that in the stripes that he bore on his back, there is healing for people who call upon his name. We see this all the way through the New Testament. And then Hebrews 13:8 promises us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And so the healing power that we see in the New Testament we believe is still alive and active today. We have seen it in our church. And so James tells us when you get together pray for those who are sick. James 5, 14 and 15 says are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Things about this instruction he gives to me that kind of open up for me a little bit is, first of all, his desire when praying for the sick to call for the elders. Now, who are the elders? The word elders (laughs) originally just meant beard. So, if you have a beard in the room, feel complimented tonight because you're in the Bible. And so, the reason it was beard is because in their culture, it was older men and they didn't shave. So the longer the beard, the older and wiser the man was. And so this was this group of leaders that were separated, separated as wise people to turn to, godly people to turn to, and that when I was sick, I would call for the elder. Now, in our church culture today, we have both men and women who we believe are righteous leaders in our church community. God says, call for them which is interesting that it's not just the pastor in a service saying, hey, come on forward and let me pray for you. It's you saying, pastor, come pray for me, leader in my church, elder in my church, come come pray for me, which tells me a couple things about what was happening is that first of all, someone most likely is limited from coming to church, someone who then has a serious disability, a pain, something uh, that is life-threatening, that they're saying, this is serious, what do I do when things get serious? I call for the elders of my church. I get them on the phone, and I say, come and pray for me. I need to see a miracle. I need to see something change. I want to encourage you to be the people that when you start hitting a brick wall in your life, call the elders of your church call people in your life that are spiritually mature and say I need you right now. There's a little baby boy who was born at 30 weeks. His name is Nico and he is a kid and a grandkid of people from this church. And he got to come home from the hospital this last week and we are so thankful that in this moment I know this family and they're the type of family who goes we're going to call the elders of the church. We're going to get up here on Facebook, we're going to get on text, and we're going to let my church know my church needs to pray for us. We don't know if this little boy is going to make it or if he's not going to make it, and we're not going through this alone. We need our church family standing with us, and praise God. Praise God that he shows up, he brings health, he develops lungs that are underdeveloped, he allows us to breathe and live and have a future, and I'm so thankful for that. It also tells us here to anoint with oil. Now, if you didn't grow up in church, if you've never seen this practice before, this could feel a little bit strange to you of, are we cooking now? Like, what's happening with this? So... In the practice of Christianity, in the way that the New Testament teaches us to follow after Christ, there are several symbols that are used throughout the New Testament. One of the most familiar symbols in the New Testament is in the practice of communion, where we take uh, grape juice or wine, and we take uh, bread, and we symbolize the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. That in that practice, we say, hey, we're going to use these things to represent and remind us of what Jesus did for us. Well, anointing oil works that same way. In the practice of healing, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit that says, this is happening not by our power. Zechariah 4.6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's by the spirit that things get done. When you call for the elders of church, I want you to anoint with oil. That when you pray for healing, where is that healing coming from? You know, one of the things that can kind of slip into church practice when it comes to faith is pride. Pride can kind of show up that I can go be the person who prays for someone and then like, ooh, that, that, that worked that time. So, so Dan must be really spiritual. Like he must be the guy that you want to come pray for you when you're sick because he, he's got the special touch or he's got the special words. And the anointing oil reminds us, no, that's not where that's coming from. That it is, it is by the Spirit, not by might nor my power, but by my spirit that healing comes. And so that oil, another trap I think Christians can fall into as well is almost like the magical potion mentality. You know, for those who've been to Israel, it is kind of a cool thing to get things that are from Israel, but like oil from the Holy Land is like no more effective in healing you than Crisco or whatever (laughs) vegan cooking spray you have at home. Is that it is not by might nor by power. There is no riddle to be solved. There is no magic words. There is no pray this way or pray for this. Have this person pray for you. There is no spell to be cast. It is by His power that it is by the Spirit that we're healed. Now you're sitting here going, "Well, Dan, that's that's encouraging." But like, what what when that doesn't what what about when that doesn't work out? What about when we pray earnestly? One of the most difficult things for us to find settledness with, as Christians, praying for healing, is the two paths to God's healing in our life. Because it is a disappointing fact in this world that everyone does have to die, is that God has a path to bring every single one of his children home to him. If everyone was healed every time that you wanted someone to be healed, we'd all be walking around here at 300 years old because you'd want us still to keep just staying and staying and staying. And yet God has plans that are higher than ours. He has plans that are more magnificent than ours that often require bringing people home before we're ready for them to be taken home. And when I approach my father with healing, I need to have this two-path healing. I have this temporary healing of heal me now so I can stay on this earth for a designed will that you have. And then I have this other healing that involves me going home to be with my Heavenly Father. If I measure the percentage of time that I will spend on this earth and the measure of time I will spend in eternity, right now it's just kind of a drop. And I know that's hard to see because we're living in the drop. This is all that we see. But when I approach my, my God asking for healing, I need to have these two paths in my mind in order to be settled in my heart, in order to, to truly place my faith in him and to give my trust to him for him to be the answer. My job is to be the asker. My job is to come before him when I'm sick in my body. I'm gonna pray. I'm the asker, and he is the answerer, and let him be God. At the end of this verse, it's like he makes a quick right-hand turn and changes subjects on us, because he then says, and if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. And I'm thinking, Hold on, what are we talking about? I thought, I thought we were talking about my, my, my kneecap that I blew out, right? Like, like, I thought we were talking about my physical illness, and now you're starting talking about sin, and I, I don't really want to talk about that. Like, let's talk about the weird rash on my back that I'd like to go away. Let's not get personal, right? And God says, there is a God-designed connection between your healing and your righteousness, There is a thing that happens when we come before God and we say, Lord, heal me, I'm sick in my body. And what happens in our hearts when we come to him with those types of requests is this beautiful thing called humility. You see, because if you are walking through your life with any amount of pride, arrogance, anger, jealousy, there is something that lowers in those areas when you say, God, I am desperate for you. I am desperate for healing, I am desperate for another day, I am desperate for your rescue. God says when you cry out for healing, there's going to be this natural transition to the second area, which is the second service list order on our James-inspired worship service tonight, and that is confession. James 5, uh, 15 and 16 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Isn't that interesting? Do you see the tie-in here between our prayer for healing and a prayer for righteousness? I'm going to read that again. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. There's three people in your life that you need to be confessing your sins to. So the first person is our Heavenly Father. He is the one who is the redeemer. He's the one who washes away your sins. He's the one who cleanses you of your sins. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, if we confess in our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is that confession of faith that is so critical. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we make that confession, we make it to our heavenly Father. The second person you need to be confessing your sins to are the people that you've hurt. Is that when there is someone in your life that has been wounded by your sin, they are a very appropriate person for you to confess your sins to. Oh, four or five years ago, I uh, was with a small rehearsal here at the church, and I lost my temper and said something snarky. I said something that I regretted. I said something I regretted, and so I left that rehearsal, and I kind of instantly had the Holy Spirit knocking on the door being like, hey, (laughs) slow down, and so I I found this person. I apologized to them, but then there was a second step that I knew that I needed to do, which is the next time I had a rehearsal with those exact same group of people, I then repeated my apology to that person in front of all of those people because all of those people had witnessed what I had done, and so it was important to me that for that group for me to stop and say, hey, guys. I don't know how well this stuck out to you, but last rehearsal, I said some things that I shouldn't have said, and I was rude, and I just need to apologize to this person, and I want you to know that we've talked and that we've reconciled, and I just wanted to to share that with you because I am confessing my sins to the people that have been affected by my sins, and so if you think about the things that the Holy Spirit has convicted you of, also think about the people that have been affected by that. That's a very appropriate people for you to be confessing your sins to. The third group of people is the ones who can help. So I think about confessing my sins to the ones that I hurt, and I also want to confess my sins to the ones that can help. Just to clear, you, clear this up, it's not Facebook. So it's not, it's not Instagram, it's not Twitter. You don't need to do that there. But think about the people that can help. The people that can help are my brothers and sisters in Christ. They are people who are either with me, someone who is on my path, who's right next to me, and there are also people who are above me, people that are more spiritually mature than me, people who I look up to that I need to sit down and have a conversation with and say, can we talk about some areas that are just slipping in my life, of places that I am, I am failing at, and I want to confess my sins to you, that you could be a brother or sister in accountability with me and help me walk through this together. That art of confession is so important. There's a beautiful place in Psalm 32 where this songwriter talks about how confession makes him feel. And I want you to listen to this. So verse 3 to 5, Psalm 32 says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. That does not sound great, but it also sounds like a very great description of how I feel when sin is weighing on me. When I am walking into every room with the guilt of every sin that I've committed. When I'm walking into every room with the shame of the sin that I've committed, that's how my body feels. It feels like things have evaporated, it feels heavy. And so let's keep reading. He says, finally, so after I gave up, right? Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. That is the beauty of confession. That is the God-designed nature in confession, that when we confess to our Heavenly Father, to the people we've hurt, and to the people that can help, There is a lift in your life, and I understand that you can feel some skepticism towards that of, Dan, man, this weight is so heavy. I I don't think there's any quick three steps. I don't think there's any lift. It's not me that's lifting it. It's not you that's lifting it. It is the Spirit of God that is lifting guilt from your shoulders when you go through this act of confession, when you add confession to your worship service. Can I make one side note when we talk about confession? Can you also strive to be someone who's really great to confess to? I'm in a marriage. uh, Husbands and wives, this can be a a shortcoming. That when that person finally comes around who's in relationship to you, and they lean in and they say, yeah, I was really stubborn yesterday. And we go, yeah, you were. (laughs) And you've been that way for a long time. Reminds me of three years ago when you said this in front of my mom. Right? (laughs) Can you work on being a really great person to confess to? I think it is one of the fears that people legitimately have attached to confession is if I am honest with you, you're going to grab the closest sharp object and come after me. And I think it is really easy for us to get into a vindictive nature when someone does open up, when they do reach a place of confession in their life, when, when someone starts a confessive, a confessive tone around you, can your Holy Spirit alarm bells go off and slow your heart down? And if it's too much to process, just smile and nod for a little bit. And allow God to do a work in your heart and teach you to forgive the way that Jesus forgave. Jesus is the kind of guy who sees someone mocking him on a cross next to him and reaches out and and longs for his forgiveness. He's the kind of guy who sees a Roman soldier nailing him to the cross and says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That can be tough, but be a great person to confess to. Be the person who says, praise God that you've come to this point. Praise God that that I can be here with you. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for telling me this. I'm so thankful that you felt willing to do that you could share this with me. Thank you for showing your trust in me by having this conversation. And we can lean into this. It's not always easy, but I, I I challenge you that that we can do that and make a make us good at confessing and make us good at receiving confessions. Now what James does here, as we're kind of on this faith journey of praying and confessing, he pauses really quickly and he goes on this divergent path to explain someone who did just these things. So in James chapter 5 verse 17 and 18, he says, Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, And the earth began to yield its crops. He's referencing a miracle that happened in in 1 Kings when Elijah stopped the rain for three and a half years because of a sinful nation, nation. but then the day came for the rain to come back and Elijah gets up and he starts praying. From Elijah's story, I just want to pull out today four uh, stages in the life cycle of faith. So the first one is this, is faith starts with a promise. Every time you trust God for something, every time you lean into God, it's because of something that he said. It needs to be because of something that he said. It is the promise of his word. It is something that he told you. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. That when we hear good news, when we know what God said, when we turn to his word and we see what his promises are, then our faith begins and starts with a promise from God. Romans um, jumping ahead here. So faith grows in persistence. So Elijah knew that he had been promised something from God. He starts praying, and as he's praying, he tells his servant, hey, uh, God told me it was going to rain. That's my promise. Uh, will you go, go check over there and see if it's raining yet? The servant comes back, and he goes, "No, nope, it's not raining. And Elijah says, okay, go, go, go check again. And he comes back, is it raining yet? No, nope, it's not raining yet. We're all outside, sir. <laughs> goes, we'll go, go, go check again. And he sends him back, and Elijah is moved into this place of persistence. I challenge you to be persistent in your prayer because our faith grows in persistence, that when you don't give up, your faith expands. Why? Because you're standing on a promise of God, and you are being persistent. You are not backing down. You are following through. You are not giving up. Galatians 6, 9 says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I know I've got people in this room that have been praying for healing for many years. I've got people in this room who've been praying for a lost child, a family member for many years. Don't give up. Be persistent. Your faith will grow in persistence. Finally, faith rejoices in the payoff. This is the rejoice moment when God comes through and we celebrate. Sing it loud. Share your testimony with others of the good things that God has done. When he has come through on his promises, we share it and we celebrate in the payoff. The last thing on my list here is that faith is grounded in perspective. This is the thing that keeps us balanced. It is the thing that allows us to focus on what should be focused on and not be distracted by what we should not be distracted by. Luke 10, 19 and 20 says, Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. He says, I want you to keep focused. And if you, are, if you have a God-given perspective, your faith will stay grounded. That as you are standing at, starting with a promise, as you are growing in your persistence, as you are rejoicing in the payoff, you can be grounded in perspective and keep the right things centered Elijah did this, and on that day, he saw a mighty rainstorm come. There's this beautiful finale to the story where Elijah is running down the mountainside as the, the, as the rain is coming in, and he runs ahead of these chariots for miles and miles back to the palace rejoicing of the good things that God's done, God has a payoff for you. He has a place where all of his promises will be revealed to you. Stay true in the persistence. Stay grounded in your perspective. This is how James wraps up the chapter. I'm gonna read the last two verses here. And this is our third item on our list for our James-inspired worship service, and it's prayer for the wanderer. James says, if you want your perspective to be balanced, Don't get stuck looking at temporary things. I want you to stay focused on heavenly things. I want you to stay focused on eternal things. And this is how he wraps it up in the last two verses. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings a sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. And then he's done. And that's where he stops. He says, when you come together, always stop and pray for the wanderer because your physical body, it might be sick today, and God might have it in his plan to heal your body, but all of our bodies will eventually decay. But the thing that is eternal is the soul. And so when you get together, I want you to pray for the wanderer. Father, as we close our night tonight, as we wrap up this series of walking, working through the book of James, we just want to give you praise. Can we give praise to him right now? Can we just lift up and say, God, you are worthy. We praise you. We want to recognize all the good things that you have done. We are not a grumbling people. We are a people who are fully aware and thankful of your mighty work. We see that your plans are better than ours. We have seen how you've been faithful to us and we just give you praise. We give you place, God. We don't lift ourselves up. We pull ourselves down that you would be greater, that your name would be higher in our lives and in our city and in this church. We thank you, Lord, that you have made yourself known to us. It is a... Privilege to be connected to the gospel. It is a privilege to be aware of the name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you. We claim that your will would be done in our community. We claim that your will would be done in our families, in our workplaces. And as we leave this place tonight, we leave standing tall, knowing who we are. We are your kids. We identify with you. You are our father. And we have claimed you. And we thank you, God, that you are with us tonight. And I pray that you would let us walk out of here walking tall with your spirit. We love you. We give you praise. We give you honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give him praise tonight?
0: Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.